We're now, that's the end of the questions. We're now moving on to questions to the Prime Minister. We start with questions to the Prime Minister with Catherine West. Catherine West. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Minister. Mr Speaker, I know the thoughts of the whole House will be with the Honourable Member for Bolton South East. I'm sure members from across the House will want to join me in wishing her a speedy recovery. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in this House. I shall have further such meetings later today. Catherine West. Mr Speaker, could I associate myself with those kind remarks on behalf of my honourable friend from Bolton? And uh, my constituents are reeling from the 9% contraction of the economy since March of this year. Unemployment has skyrocketed and joblessness in Haringey is the highest in the capital. Unfortunately, we are at the same time facing the idea that there could be a congestion tax uh, forced on to 4 million extra Londoners by this government these Londoners already facing the double whammy of COVID and the double whammy of financial ruin. Will the Prime Minister please immediately stop the imposition of this dreadful plan? I look forward to his answer. Uh, well, uh, Mr Speaker, I must respectfully inform the Honourable Lady that uh, the current Mayor of London had effectively bankrupted TfL uh, b before coronavirus had even hit and left a massive black hole in its finances, and uh, any, uh, any, any need to make up that deficit is entirely down to him. It is entirely his responsibility. Any expansion of the congestion charge or any other measure taken uh, to improve the finances of TfL are entirely the responsibility of the bankrupt current Labour Mayor of London. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, people, the length and breadth of the country have made many sacrifices over the last few months to try to suppress COVID-19. But infection rates are increasing fast and Buckinghamshire may soon find itself in Tier 2. Can my right honourable friend tell the people of my Aylesbury constituency how long we'd be expected to stay there, what additional help there'd be for local businesses and, crucially, what the route out would be? Uh, thank you. Well, I, can re I hope reassure my honourable friend by telling him that uh, the incidence in the Vale of Aylesbury is in fact uh, less than half the England average and uh, the way forward for the Vale of, uh, constituents in the Vale of Aylesbury and everywhere else is for everyone to keep uh, following the guidance, uh, observing the new uh, restrictions, but obviously washing hands, uh, wearing a face covering in enclosed spaces and keeping a, a sensible distance, Mr Speaker. We come to the Leader of the Opposition, the Right Honourable Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I thank the Prime Minister for his remarks about the Honourable Member for Bolton South East? Prime Minister, how does an area which goes into Tier 3 restrictions get out of those restrictions? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, the uh, simplest and most effective way uh, for areas to get out of those restrictions is, of course, to get the R down uh, to uh, one or below. And I'm very pleased to say that uh, some areas uh, are already uh, having a considerable effect with the measures that they're taking. Yes, Mr. Speaker, can I press the Prime Minister on that answer? Um, if the infection rate R in a Tier 3 area has not come below one, Will it be possible in any circumstances for that area to come out of Tier 3 if the R hasn't come below 1? 
Mr Speaker, obviously the uh, R is one of the measures that we look at and we'll take a decision based on uh, a, a number of things, including the R, but also, of course, uh, rates of infection, uh, rates of admission uh, to hospital and, and other data. But the most important thing is for areas that uh, do go into Tier 3, and I, I'm very grateful to local leadership in the areas that, that have gone into to Tier 3 because it's the right thing uh, for them to do, the right thing uh, for their constituents, the right thing uh, to save lives, uh, when uh, they are able to make progress. And, of course, they will come out of Tier 3. And, uh, as he knows full well, the, the measures that are put in place uh, are reviewed every 28 days. Mr Speaker, I'm now confused by the Prime Minister's answer. If it's not the R rate under one, what is it? Because millions of people want to know the answer to that question, because millions of them are in Tier 3 and millions more are likely to go into Tier 3. They really need to know. And Prime Minister, on Friday, the Chief Scientific Officer said Tier 3 on its own certainly isn't enough to get the R rate below one. On the same day, the Prime Minister himself said there was only a chance of getting infection rates down. This goes to the heart of the issue in Greater Manchester and elsewhere, because the widespread fear, Prime Minister, is that Tier 3 is the worst of all worlds. It brings significant economic harm without getting the virus sufficiently under control to exit Tier 3. So instead of being a solution, Tier 3 is a gateway to weeks and weeks, more likely months and months of agony, from which there's no likely exit. Can the Prime Minister not see the problem if there isn't a clear exit? Uh, sorry, uh, Mr Speaker, I, I've made it absolutely clear that a uh, tier, uh, part of the country going into Tier 3 uh, is only in there for 28 days. We will review it after 28 days. And uh, areas that uh, have gone into Tier 3, uh, I, I believe, are already making progress and areas where there are restrictions in place are also showing signs of progress. We are pursuing, Mr Speaker, a local, a regional approach, which is the sensible approach uh, for this country. That's what the epidemiology supports. It's what the Deputy Chief Medical Officer uh, supported uh, last night. And again, I want to thank a local leadership in Merseyside, in Lancashire, actually in London and West Midlands uh, and elsewhere for what they are doing. And I may say that it is a bit incoherent of the uh, the uh, right honourable gentleman opposite to attack uh, local lockdowns when he wants to plunge the whole country, uh, the whole country, back into a damaging lockdown uh, for weeks on end, and he has no clue about how he would propose to get the country out of that, does he? Mr. Speaker, I appreciate there's going to be a review every 28 days, but if the R rate hasn't come below one, then the infection rate is still going up, and the numbers are going up, and the admissions are going up and the numbers in hospital are going up, and the deaths are going up. Is the Prime Minister seriously saying that he would take a Tier 3 area out of Tier 3 with the R above 1? I don't think so. Let me spell out what this means. Let me spell out what this means. On Friday, thousands of people in Greater Manchester, taxi drivers, pub and hospitality workers, people working in betting shops, the self-employed and freelancers, will either be out of work or face significant pay cuts. That's the reality on Friday in Greater Manchester. But their rent and their mortgage won't be lower, their food and their heating bills won't be lower, and that could last for months. Why can't the Prime Minister and the Chancellor understand this? Stop bargaining with people's lives, stop dividing communities, and provide the support that's needed in Manchester. 
And Mr Speaker, I am very proud that this Government has already given Greater Manchester £1.1 billion in, in, in support for business, uh, £200 million in extra unring-fenced funding, £50 million uh, to tackle infections in care homes, £20 million for tests and trades, another £22 million for local response that we announced yesterday. And yesterday, the Mayor of Greater Manchester was offered a further £60 million, which he turned down, Mr Speaker, with no encouragement, I may say, to support from the right honourable gentleman. So I can tell the House today, Mr Speaker, is that that cash will be distributed uh, to the boroughs of Greater Manchester. And I want to thank uh, my honourable and right honourable colleagues across the, the House, uh, for Haywood and Milton, Middleton, for Bo- from Bolton North West, from Bolton North, North, we- North East, from Berry South, Berry North, Cheadle, Lee, Orchardham and Sale West, and Hazel Grove, for the support that they have given in this matter, Mr Speaker. This is, a, this is a Prime Minister that pays £7,000 a day for consultants on track and trace, which isn't working, that can find £43 million for a garden bridge that was never built, but he can't find £5 million for the people of Greater Manchester. I really think the Prime Minister has crossed a Rubicon here, not just with the miserly way that he's treated Greater Manchester, but the grub it, take it or leave it way these local deals are being done. It's corrosive to public trust to pit region against region, mayor against mayor, council against council, asking them to trade away their businesses and jobs. We need a one-nation approach, replace these endless local battles with clear national criteria and proper support for jobs. Labour's motion this afternoon would do that. Why won't the Prime Minister support it? Uh, Mr Speaker, I'm proud of the support that we've given, the one-nation Conservative support that we've given uh, to, the, to the entire country, uh, £200 billion in support for jobs and livelihoods across the whole of the country already, a further £9.9 billion now for the job support scheme. Uh, it is this government that has cut VAT for, for business, deferred business rates. There is no other country in Europe, Mr Speaker, where so much support, so much help has been given to the population to get through this crisis, and we will continue to do that. But I think it is the height of absurdity, Mr Speaker, that he stands up and attacks the economic consequences of the measures that we're obliged to take across some parts of the country when he wants to turn the lights out with a full national lockdown, taking kids... Take, that was his policy last week anyway, wasn't it? Perhaps he could confirm that's still his policy. Is that what he wants to do? Here's Starmer. Mr Speaker, on his press conference yesterday, the Prime Minister produced heat maps across the country, showing the infection rate up in all ages across all regions, and particularly showing regions that have been in the equivalent of Tier 2 restrictions for weeks, if not months, moving into Tier 3. Now, if they're moving into Tier 3, Tier 2 hasn't worked, because if Tier 2 worked, they should be going to Tier 1. So Tier 2 goes to Tier 3. Tier 3 has no end, because there's no prospect or confidence in the R rate coming below 1, and I do not believe that a Tier 3 region will come out of those restrictions unless R is below 1 and whilst numbers are still going up. So we now have a stark choice. And by the way, Prime Minister, Cornwall is the only place, possibly with the Isle of Wight, where the infection rate today is less than Greater Manchester when it went into local restrictions. So this idea that some areas are immune is wrong. So there's a stark choice. Carry on with the Prime Minister's approach, which will lead to weeks and weeks and months and months of prolonged agony in all your constituencies for millions of people in Tier 2 and 3 with no exit or place or put in place a two- to three-week time-limited circuit break. 
to break the cycle and bring the virus back under control. Wales, Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland in part have chosen that path. With half-term starting this Friday, this may be the last opportunity for the Prime Minister to put in place an effective circuit break. The Prime Minister was too slow in the first phase of this pandemic. He's being too slow again. We cannot repeat this mistake. Will he act in the public interest and take the opportunity to put in place a circuit break this Friday? Uh, Mr Speaker, we will do whatever it takes to get this country through the crisis, uh, with or without the support of the uh, right honourable gentleman opposite. And I, I may say that I think that his policy, I've explained why I don't believe that his policy is the right one for the country, because it would involve closing schools, it would involve shuttering businesses, it would, with all the psychological, the emotional damage that lockdown of that kind brings. Uh, he can't say uh, how many circuit breakers he thinks uh, would be necessary. He can't say how long they would go on. He can't say how much damage they would do to the UK economy and to people. People's mental health, Mr. Speaker. We, we, on the other hand, want to go on with our commonsensical approach, which is a local and a regional approach, keeping kids in school, keeping our economy moving, because that is the way to get the whole of our country, the whole of our country, through this crisis together, so that we all, and particularly those regions that are now, alas, under Tier 3 restrictions, all the regions of the country bounce back strongly together, Mr. Speaker. Yeah. Let's head up to Cheshire with Edward Timpson. Edward Timpson. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. After recent positive progress, COVID has disproportionately and adversely affected participation levels in female sport and physical activity. So to help reverse this, will my right honourable friend lend his support to the development of the first ever Women's and Girls Football National Centre of Excellence in Winsford, in my constituency, a £70 million project that he has previously expressed enthusiasm for and help build female grassroots sports back better. Well, I thank my honourable friend, and this is a very exciting project. I welcome uh, Cheshire FA's commitment to providing a new world-class facility for women and girls football, and I look forward to the proposed opening of the centre in Winsford. We're now heading to the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford, audio only, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and my thoughts are very much with the member for Fulton South East. I hope she makes a speedy recovery. Mr Speaker, next week, just as the pandemic is worsening, the Tory government will scrap the furlough scheme in a move that will cause a wave of mass redundancies across the United Kingdom. Meanwhile, behind closed doors, the Prime Minister is complaining that he can't get by on his £150,000 salary. So can I ask the Prime Minister, if he's finding life such a struggle, how on earth does he expect many workers to get by on just £5.84 an hour when the Tory cuts to furlough sink in? Uh Mr Speaker, actually, I th I'm, I'm proud of what we've done to support people on low incomes uh, throughout this period, and indeed before. It was this government that raised the living wage by record amounts. Uh, we've just increased universal credit by about £1,000 a year, and he makes the point about furlough, uh, Mr Speaker, and uh, as he knows, the, the combine the universal credit uh, with job support 
the job support scheme that we've just announced, and uh, workers will be getting uh, 80% of their, uh, of their existing salary. We will get this country through this crisis, and we will continue to support people of low incomes throughout the period. Turning to Ian Blackford. Ian Blackford. Mr Speaker, I'm afraid the Prime Minister just simply doesn't get it. Yesterday we saw his total disregard for the people of Greater Manchester, a Tory attitude that people in Scotland are all too familiar with. Millions of families are struggling to get by, and this Tory government wants to cut their incomes in the middle of a pandemic. It is clear that the Prime Minister has made a deliberate decision to let unemployment soar, just like Thatcher did in the 1980s. Time is running out. With one week left, will the Prime Minister finally U-turn on his cuts to the furlough scheme and invest in our communities, or will he leave millions of people on the scrap heap? Mr Speaker, I, I really must reject what the uh, Right Honourable Gentleman has just said, because it bears no relation to the facts or, or the reality of what this government is doing to support people across the country. And it's not just uh, the, uh, the £200 billion investment in, in jobs and livelihoods. What we also are engaged in and what we will continue to deliver is a colossal investment in education, in health in housing, in infrastructure, that will deliver jobs and growth throughout this United Kingdom for a generation, Mr Speaker. Andrew Jenkins. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Firstly, I congratulate the Prime Minister and negotiating team for their strong stance in negotiations with the EU. And ask the Prime Minister whether he agrees with me that the EU's position on fishing and and ECJ demonstrate they are not treating us as an independent state, they are not acting in good faith to, to deliver a free trade agreement, and in, in international law, the UK is therefore entitled to leave the withdrawal agreement and make its own arrangements regarding the UK's own internal market. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, uh, the, uh, whatever the uh, effect of the, of the withdrawal agreement, I can certainly assure her that the UK's uh, internal market, which I think uh, everybody on both sides of the House uh, values, is protected and, and upheld uh, by the UK Internal Market Bill, which is uh, going through another place uh, at the moment, uh, and also, of course, protecting the Good Friday Agreement. Ed David. Mr Speaker, Mikey is severely disabled. He turned 18 last month, so he's one of the first to see his child trust fund mature. But Mikey's disabilities mean he can't manage his own finances, so he can't access these savings. Government rules on child trust fund mean his parents can't either without paying expensive legal fees. This is Mikey's own money. He wants to use it to buy a specially adapted tricycle. So will the Prime Minister look at proposals that Mikey's father has shown me to end this injustice for disabled young people and let Mikey by this trike. Of course, um, Mr Speaker, I will uh, do whatever I can to help in the particular case that he, that he raises. I, I don't know whether the, uh, the, the tricycle he mentions is, uh, is, is eligible for a number of the, uh, the schemes I, that I can immediately call to mind, but if he cares to write to me, I, I, will, I will, of course, answer immediately. Heading up to Harrell for Bob Blackman to land this question. Bob Blackman. Thank you, Ground Control. My right honourable friend will be well aware of the negotiations going on between the Department for Transport and the current Mayor of London on a further bailout for Transport for London. The current Mayor is demanding an eye-watering £5.65 billion to keep TfL running for the next 18 months, 
yet he refuses to accept any economies because of offending his union paymasters. Can my right honourable friend confirm, however, that the government has not required the current Mayor of London to expand the congestion charge to the North and South Circular Roads? Mr Speaker, well, I can certainly confirm, as I said in my answer to the first question, is that the back, the black hole in TfL's finances, the bankruptcy of TfL, which was left, by the way, in robust uh, financial health by the previous mayor, uh, Mr Speaker, it, 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 certainly, it certainly was, uh, it, certainly, it certainly was, is entirely the fault of the current Labour Mayor of London with his grossly irresponsible demagogic fair policies, uh, which were never pursued by the previous Mayor of London, I may say, uh, Mr Speaker, and the fault lies entirely, therefore, with him, and I, I trust uh, uh, my uh, honourable friend uh, will make that clear. Dr. Mr. Speaker, financial support packages, tackling homelessness, rail nationalisation, honouring Marcus Rashford. There's plenty this government's done on COVID that I applaud. But with winter set to bite and no end to the virus in sight, can I ask the PM to reconsider the arbitrary end to many of his schemes set months ago when we knew so little? Three million self-employed were completely out of all of these. And a number of them set to face destitution when the minimum income floor ends next month. And 3,272 3, kids in his own seat, 2016 in mind, school dinners are in the balance. Can he start by voting with us tonight and make sure that that gong doesn't just mean nothing? Sorry, perhaps Prime Minister. Just Prime Minister. Prime Minister. Prime Minister. Can you just sit down? Please. We've got to have short questions. I want to get through the list. We've got to help each other. Prime Minister. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. And, uh, the Honourable Lady is, is, is quite right to uh, call attention to uh, the, the difficulties facing many families uh, right now because of the, of the crisis that uh, we've, we've been in. Uh, but the most important thing, and I think this is, I hope, common ground, actually, is to keep kids in school if we possibly can. That's, that would be uh, vitiated by the series of lockdowns that are being proposed. I don't want to go down uh, that route. Uh, and what I want to do is to make sure that we continue to support uh, families throughout the crisis so that they have the cash available to feed their kids as they need to do. And to a question, Mr Speaker. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Mr Speaker. Uh, I'm delighted that uh, Kettering General Hospital is part of, is part of the biggest a hospital building programme in a generation. I can tell my honourable friend the Infrastructure Delivery Task Force is already involved in delivering the health infrastructure programme, which includes Kettering General Hospital. The Thank the Prime Minister for visiting the night shift at Kettering General Hospital in February and seeing for himself at first hand the wonderful work being done by local medics and staff. The hospital can expedite at speed ambitious plans for its rebuild, but only if the time taken for regulatory clearances at NHS improvement are dramatically shortened. Will the Prime Minister cut NHS red tape so local people can have the improvements we need at our local hospital as quickly as possible? Uh, indeed, Mr Speaker, and I, can, I, can, I hope I can reassure, reassure him by saying that clinical modelling work is now complete and uh, the site development is now underway, Mr Speaker, uh, as we speak. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
On the 16th of June, the Prime Minister agreed to provide free school meal vouchers to hungry children over the summer holidays after claiming that just 24 hours beforehand he was completely unaware of the campaign that was calling for it. Last week, Liberal Democrat Education Minister for Wales, Kirsty Williams, guaranteed that free school meal provision during school holidays would continue until at least Easter 2021, and yesterday the Scottish Government committed to do the same. So, Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister confirm that he is indeed aware of these announcements, and if so, when does he plan to do the right thing? Well, Mr Speaker, governments of all stripes have supplied a free school meal since 1906, and I'm proud that it was this Conservative government that extended universal, universal free school meals to five, six and seven-year-olds. Uh, the, the party opposite were in power for 30 of the last 100 years and never did anything like that, uh, Mr oh. Speaker. Uh, we, su- we, support, we support kids uh, of low incomes uh, in school, and we will continue to do so. But the most important thing is to keep them in school and not to go uh, to, to tear off into another national lockdown, taking them out of school. And we will continue, Mr Speaker, to use the benefit system and all the systems of in- income support to support young people, to support children uh, throughout the holidays as well. Yeah. To south-west with Sigurri Street. To Sigurri. Thank you, Mr Speaker. One lesson we've all learnt in the past nine months is that the internet is even more important to our lives than we imagined. So will my right honourable friend confirm today that despite COVID and all the other challenges he's grappling with, that we will deliver on our manifesto commitment to roll out full fibre superfast broadband across the United Kingdom and ensure that we are global leaders in digital connectivity? Thank you. Yes, indeed. I, I thank my honourable friend, right honourable friend, for everything he does to lobby for that. And I can tell him that uh, our local delivery partner uh, in Devon and Somerset uh, has provided uh, connectivity of the kind he describes to 300,000 premises over the last, uh, across, two, across those two counties. And indeed, uh, we are going to be a world leader in connectivity, Mr. Speaker, as we build back better. To South London with Janet Davy. Janet Davy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can the Prime Minister confirm that his government is seeking to force the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, to remove free travel for under-18s and for holders of the 60-plus travel card in return for further financial support for TfL to keep the tubes and buses running? How can this be right when many people in London, and indeed in my constituency, already have months of genuine hardship ahead of them? Mr Speaker, it was the Labour Mayor of London who bankrupted TfL's finances and any, uh, any changes that uh, he brings in are entirely his responsibility. And I, su- I suggest she holds him to account. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I know the Prime Minister is committed to doubling down on levelling up. Will he join me for a virtual tour of Stoke-on-Trent Central and a round table with key partners focused on delivering for the left behind? not least to ensure that the Transforming Cities Fund investment will revolutionise public transport in the city. Well, Mr Speaker, that's an easy commitment for me to make, and I'm delighted uh, to to do so. And I can tell her that we're investing nearly £20 million through our city deal in uh, in pioneering a new programme of sustainable, low-carbon and low-cost heat energy to Stoke-on-Trent. Three weeks ago, the Prime Minister stood at that dispatch box praising Luton as the only place to have come out of local restrictions. But praise doesn't pay the bills. Luton's proud industries of manufacturing, aviation and events 
can't get by on sound bites and figures that bear no relation to what's really happening to jobs and businesses. He knows entire industries are at stake. So is it his inaction, indifference or incompetence? Will he support businesses that need it and areas that need it throughout this crisis? Yes, indeed, Mr Speaker. And I thank the people of Luton for their, their, their hard and, indeed, their heroic work, as I thank people across the country uh, for, what they are, for what they are doing. And I want to support businesses in Luton, and that's why uh, we want to continue with the sensible, balanced, uh, regional, local approach that we are. And I, and I hope she agrees with me that it would make no sense at all for businesses, hard-pressed businesses in Luton, if they had their lights turned off and their doors shuttered in a series of multiple lockdowns of a kind that are recommended by the party opposite. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The people of Aberconwy and North Wales are learning to live with COVID-19, but we're frustrated by national Welsh Government policy that seeks to place restrictions on us that are the same in the village of Cwmpenmachno as they are in the capital, Cardiff. Last week, my right honourable friend agreed that a shared responsibility is the way to tackle this pandemic. Does he see that, the, um, does he see that the, uh, the, the, the future of this is a series of rolling national lockdowns, or can businesses and residents hope that they will be given more trust to look after their own health and those they care for? Well, I, I think my honourable friend really puts the, the distinction very, very clearly and, and sharply, and that's, it's the commonsensical balanced approach that we're, we're following. I, I do think that uh, where local leaders step up to the plate, and I'm delighted uh, that uh, South Yorkshire uh, came on board this morning, had a great conversation uh, with Dan Jarvis uh, last night. Uh, where local leadership is, is shown, uh, we can really make huge progress in getting the R down, and that's the right approach for the country. Heading up to Nosley with Sir George Howard. Sir George. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I return to the subject of free school meals? There are 7,108 children in Nosley reliant on free, me free school meals, which are vital in ensuring that they are properly fed. Whether to extend to Easter is both a moral and political choice. So will the Prime Minister make the right choice and agree to extend free school meals to Easter? Uh, Mr Speaker, of course we have free school meals uh, throughout term time. That's, in, that's entirely right. Uh, what, we, what we want to do is to make sure that we uh, continue to support uh, people on low incomes throughout the crisis, and that's also what we're going to do. We're heading to Essex with Stephen Metcalf. Stephen Metcalf. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. As my right honourable friend will know, part of my constituency has now been placed into Tier 2 restrictions. Can he therefore reassure everyone that if they stick to the rules, observe the hands, face and space message, and self-isolate when required, accompanied by suitable enforcement for those who blatantly flout the law, we will come out of these restrictions all the sooner? Uh, I, my honourable friend uh, puts his finger on it, and that's exactly what we need to do. And uh, I, I can tell him that just uh, the, the areas that uh, go into high uh, levels of concern are reviewed every 14 days, and uh, the restrictions, as, as I told the right on gentleman, are reviewed uh, every 28 days. Uh, the way to get through it is exactly, as he says, to follow the guidance, particularly the hands, face, space basics. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The people of Barnes in my constituency have been cut off from public transport routes for some months now by the closure of Hammersmith Bridge. 
Can the Prime Minister confirm reports that the Government is now planning to charge Barnes residents £15 a day to own a car and charge them extra council tax to pay for facilities that they cannot use, despite the fact that TfL reserves were increasing before the virus hit? Well, uh, Mr Speaker, I can confirm that Hammersmith Bridge has been closed entirely uh, thanks to the uh, incompetence of the current Labour Mayor of London and, uh, and, and that Sean Bailey... Uh, the Conservative candidate is going to is going to is going to reopen it, and that is the best thing. Uh, that is the best thing possible. They said to Rygate with Crispin Blunt. Crispin Blunt. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Speaker. As my right honourable friend leads the country through Brexit and delivers global Britain, will he ensure that the first consideration he gives to the values and policies of his government are those that which will unite and bring our country together? and make all those who voted remain for what they thought were the internationalist values of the European Union proud again of their country for bringing those values to global Britain. Indeed, Mr Speaker, and that's why we're going to use the, uh, the G7 presidency, the, the COP26 uh, summit, uh, to champion our values across the world, and in particular the, the one uh, that he mentions, uh, female education, which I think is the single, uh, the single policy that can really transform uh, the outcomes across the planet. And our global objective is to help 40 million girls across the world to, uh, a, to get a decent education. Mr Speaker, his government lost control of the virus, making extra restrictions inevitable. But with no certainty, no communication and no new financial support, he's killing Nottingham businesses. Castle Rock Brewery is a Nottingham success story, but now it's on the verge of breakdown. Two pubs closed permanently, jobs gone and worried staff facing the prospect of being laid off with no pay. Countless other bars, restaurants and pubs tell the same story. Will he stop punishing successful Nottingham businesses for his failure and give them the help they desperately need? Well, um, Mr Speaker, I, I of course sympathise deeply with businesses that face uh, difficulties because of the, uh, the, the pandemic, though I would remind her that uh, in her constituency the in infection rate is now running at 800 and 815 815 per 100,000, and we must get that down. Uh, and I thank the people of Nottingham for what they're doing uh, to get it down. Uh, and we will, of course, continue to provide the, the full panoply of support that we've offered and more throughout this crisis. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Following the introduction of Tier 2 restrictions in York, can the Prime Minister be more open in communicating the evidence base for York going into Tier 2? outline a roadmap for the city's return to Tier 1 and urgently consider creation of specific support for York's hospitality industry suffering losses from the limbo that Tier 2 is creating. Yes, yes, Mr Speaker. Well, I can tell my honourable friend that the infection rate in York, alas, is now running at 279 uh, per 100,000 and uh, we, must, uh, we must get it down. Uh, but we can get it down. We can get it down through the package of measures that we've described. And you can see in areas where people are uh, complying with the guidance that it, it is having an effect. And you can see that it's having an effect, Mr Speaker, because the R 
uh, if it weren't for the efforts and the energies of the British people, the R would be running at three or more. It's now between 1.2 and 1.5. It won't take much, Mr Speaker. It won't take much, the compliance in those areas that are hit at the moment, uh, to get that R back down below one. That's what we're aiming for, and that is the way to get businesses across the country in uh, the Royal Normal Ladies' constituency in Nottingham, in his constituency, back on their feet as fast as possible. It It would not be sensible, in my view, to plunge them all back into a sustained series of national lockdowns, uh, particularly in areas where the virus is low. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Chancellor has decided that people who are unable to work because of coronavirus restrictions should be paid as little as two-thirds of the national minimum wage. At the same time, the Government is paying £7,000 a day for consultants to work on the failed Serco Track and Trace programme. Can the Prime Minister tell this House how on earth he thinks that is justifiable? And is this what he means by levelling up? Mr Speaker, the the NHS track and trace is now uh, testing more more people than any other country in Europe has tested. I think uh, 26 million uh, people uh, so far were conducted, 26 million tests. And and, I am also proud on her on her other point, that we've been able to support people uh, across the country in the way that we have. And uh, she is is not correct in what she says about the uh, combined impact of the job support scheme and universal credit, because that lifts, uh, they they work in in tandem, and that uh, lifts people's incomes uh, to 80%, in some cases uh, to more than 90% of their current incomes and that is the uh, the support that we're giving at the moment but the best thing mr speaker is to get our country through this crisis uh, without going back into the uh, the social uh, the psychological and the emotional and the economic disaster and disaster was the word that the party opposite used only uh, a week or so ago the disaster of a series of national lockdowns 